welcome Hoosier fans to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most interesting topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 188th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 643rd episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, September 24th, 2020. I am your host, the coach, Brian Tonsoni. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. The Hoosiers have won the national championship. This week's banner moment occurred on Wednesday when Andy Katz, a, a rather well-respected basketball <laughs> analyst, but published his Power 36 basketball rankings. Indiana was ranked number 18 in his preseason rankings, and while we are getting closer to the season with each passing day, and many websites and reporters will be sharing their preseason thoughts, the reason this is a banner moment is that Indiana basketball is one step closer to being back where it regularly belongs, and that is in the national discussion. If the Hoosiers end up, quote, 18th, they will be a top five seed in the NCAA tournament. And while that is not ultimately where we want the Hoosiers on a regular basis, it is a beginning. The ranking does come with some caveats. IU is seventh, the seventh ranked team in the Big Ten, according to Katz, and are behind Rutgers. Uh, for things to really be back to normal, Rutgers should never be ahead of our Hoosiers. Also, preseason rankings and, and potential are simply what might be, and obviously no guarantee of on-court success. We know well, uh, far well, injuries, bad shooting, ball screen defense, all still remain possible issues for the Hoosiers. But for now, in these most recent times and with the COVID-19 business, it is sure nice to be thought of as a top 20 basketball program. Pressure's on the coaches and the team to make sure that the end of season rankings display a similar ranking. Okay, now let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show. First off, to my left, we have the Renaissance Man of Indiana Sports. He is one of the OGs of Indiana Sports Podcasting. He's the author of the new book, Social Media and Sports, and he is an esteemed member of Indiana's Name, Image, and Likeness Task Force. Oh, and he smokes meat like a pro. He is Galen Clavio. Galen, uh, what's been your number one takeaway in this strange offseason of sports? Thanks for the uh, the ever more embarrassing introductions. Uh, it's it's we're getting to the point now where it's just like wow. What are the they whole say first next? segment is going to be Galen's yeah. accomplishments. It's just, just essentially, it's like when they roll the scroll out and it like you know it goes for a mile down the down the entryway to the castle. Yeah, my biggest takeaway is that I actually I think I underrated how much I enjoy sports. Uh, you know the 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 amount of non sports time that we had in spring and early summer. I, I think I'd gotten jaded. I think I'd gotten myself to a point where I wasn't fully enjoying sports. I've been watching, you know, the NBA, you know, uh, conference finals. I've been watching NHL. I've been watching soccer. I've been watching college football with a vigor that I have not had in previous years. So it's been a an unfortunate palate cleanser, but maybe a necessary palate cleanser uh, to be back and watching sports again. And it's great to be talking to you guys as well. 
Well, we're we're glad to have you, and the and the intros can never be too long for for such an accomplished person. And to my right, we have a man who hasn't written any textbooks yet, but who has written thousands of viral posts for the big lead, and he maintains his open invitation for Archie Miller to hire him as Indiana Shot Doctor. He is Ryan Phillips. Analyzing players, finding every wrinkle he hasn't ever hosted, never lifted a finger. He's got all the. Well, let me quickly add just one thing about this. Dude just interrupted his own jingle. Ryan, uh, let's hear your rant on the last week in IU sports or sports in general. Well, I think one of the one of the biggest developments we saw today is that now all five of the the big five conferences will be playing sports again. As the Pac-12 is voted to play football, and they'll be playing, I think, seven games each, and then have a title game in December. So, is the is the Pac-12 still considered a major league? This is a I know it shouldn't be, but technically, it's one of the big five. I agree. It's it's well. Hey, the good thing is the rumors are Larry Scott will no longer be the commissioner soon, so maybe he can re- retake even like a mild spot. And um, but but I think that you know with the development of a lot of rapid of rapid testing and things like that, it bodes well for the return of college basketball. Was what I was getting to is the fact that they're willing to play football uh, out west where there are more restrictions than there have been other places because of, let's face it, the PAC 12, you look at a lot of the major institutions in the PAC 12 are in major cities and they're not college towns. And that's why they were so slow to get back is there were outbreaks in the major cities. And that's where we see most of the problems. And so the fact that they're willing to take that leap and, you know, right now, a couple of the schools are still having issues of figuring it out, but at least they voted to move forward and figure it out as they go. And also, to, uh, um, part of the deal was they're going to bring back their other sports as well. Uh, you know, basketball will be back, and some winter sports will be starting on time. And so, again, we've seen positive progress here. Now, is it smart? We'll find out. But at least it seems that the momentum is going to containment and figuring this out. And with rapid testing and getting more testing of athletes, you're starting to see the potential that, okay, maybe even if it's a more bubbled scenario, even if there aren't fans, even if there are, you know, it's, it's a little different, at least we're going to get the sports. It looks like, and, and we may, you know, it may not, may not look normal, may not look how we want it to, but at least it, it appears we're going to get some sports um, across the board, not just in pockets across the country, but it, it looks like it's going to be everybody. And so I, I just a positive development today. Now the, the key is figuring out how to execute it properly and, and make sure that, you know, we keep everybody safe and, and uh, you know, stick with the protocols and all that stuff, but just a positive development for sports today. Okay. Here's uh, what we're going to talk about this week. Uh, we'll, we'll give you some Hoosier headlines. Uh, the main segment, we're going to talk about some Ken Palm offense and defensive rankings needed uh, traditionally to make a deep run in the NCAA tournament and see where IU uh, compares, and we'll end with uh, some listener questions. All of this uh, coming up this week on Assembly Call Radio. But before we get to all of that, a quick announcement. Uh, please continue your support for our friends at Homefield. Their big new Saturday has been a tremendous uh, push for, for their business. And, uh, yes, buy all your IU gear first and, and then go if you have some other schools or you collect college gear, um, their designs and their logos and the, and the comfort of their T-shirt. Um, I have about seven uh, – shirts and sweatshirts in the cart, uh, uh, just waiting for me to hit, uh, submit. Um, but I'm going to wait till all the shirts come out and, and maybe try to get a loan, but, uh, homefieldapparel.com backslash assembly 20, uh, to, to get, um, uh, some help from us to buy your home field apparel, but please, please continue to support them. 
Okay, who's your headlines? Uh, we're going to start with a, a sad note. Uh, condolences to Damon Bailey's family. Damon's parents were in a motorcycle accident this week. Uh, Damon's father, Wendell, passed away. Uh, his mother, uh, the last that we have heard, uh, is in the hospital in, in, in serious condition. Please, who's your nation? Keep Damon Bailey and his family in your thoughts and prayers as we wish them nothing but the best here from assembly call. As mentioned in the banner moment, uh, Andy Katz came out with IU uh, ranked number 18 in the rankings, uh, but seventh in the Big Ten. Uh, Romeo Langford season came to an end uh, with more wrist injury issues, and he had uh, to have season-ending surgery on his wrist as the Boston Celtics face a a deficit in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, Galen, anything on either in those headlines or something else uh, jump out for you about Indiana this week? No, I mean the the Damon Bailey family news is just horrific, and and it's a, I mean, what what can you say? I mean, it's such an icon of not just Hoosier basketball, but this basketball in the state of Indiana. Uh, you know, it's one of those things that you just kind of inconceivable. It happens, and you know, it's being on the road is dangerous, regardless of what you're driving and and where you are. And it's just a shame that uh, that this has happened. So yeah, our, my condolences go out to his family and. Uh, the best of best of feelings and hopes for his mom that that she's able to pull through here. Yeah, I uh, as as a young kid in Southern California, I even followed the saga of Bailey as a, as a when he was a, a kid coming up through the high school system in Indiana, and um, you know just an absolute legend. And uh, I actually got the chance to interview Damon a few times when I would cover games at Bedford when he was coaching there, and uh, always a really nice guy, and and seemed to be just you know. Uh, welcoming and and totally great with the media at least. Um, so yeah, of course that's it's terrible news and and our thoughts are with his family, of course. And you know, a great Hoosier. I mean, even if I didn't, if I had never met him, it's 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 a, somebody in the Hoosier family is is hurting, and and um, I'm sure we all uh, feel for them. Yes, um, again, all, all thoughts and prayers from us here at the Assembly Call out to Damon Bailey and his family. Interested to get your thoughts uh, real quick on Andy Katz's uh, uh, ranking. I know it's preseason, um, you know, and those are a dime or dozen, but uh, I, I do like Andy Katz's work. I think he does decent work, um, fair work. Uh, and it's just nice to see that Wednesday and, and hear the podcast of his, that Indiana's 18. And his comments were that he really is high on the Hoosiers. Um, Galen, your thoughts a, a, about where I'm love in that 18 to 25 range and maybe just outside of it, depending on, on who's uh, ranking. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, you know, when you think about where IU was at the end of last season in Ken Palm, I think they were 34. And in a lot of predictives, they were they were in that range where they were going to be in the tournament. They were kind of on the fringe of at large, but they were still there. And you figure with the continuity, with the the players they've got coming back, and with what you would you know you've already seen the defensive improvement year over year, and the idea that the offense would improve in kind, you would think that this would be a team that would be in that you know, protected seed range, like maybe right on the cusp of that. Uh, Certainly, I think there are teams in the Big Ten that you can point to that have, you know, more returning talent, uh, you know, one through nine or one through ten, you know, whether that's uh, Michigan State with with what they've got or in Illinois with who they've got coming back now. And, And some of that's almost accidental. It's like Indiana, I think, was going to be higher in the pecking order in the Big Ten because there was going to be more attrition, and that attrition didn't happen because of the COVID-19 situation. 
There was no chance for anybody to bust out with a big tournament and j- make the jump either. That was kind of a problem. Yeah. yeah you know, so look, it's, it, it was an arrested end of the last season, but you had to, I, I think certainly I could see people making an argument that perhaps uh, that, you know, maybe you don't have to assume that they were going to make this, this next leap up, but it seems like the natural trajectory that Indiana's on right now. And so, yeah, I think 18th is, is pretty fair. And and I think that that was where I would kind of hope they would be. I, I would have been shocked if they were significantly higher, but I would have been surprised if they were lower than that. Ryan, your, your thoughts on, on what Andy Katz put out for the Hoosiers. Well, I think one thing that's interesting about it is you look at how deep the big 10 is expected to be. And, and I think that, you know, it feels like that's every year now. Uh, you know, the conference has really stepped up is what I think is the best conference in college basketball. And you see just the depth and breadth of it to have seven teams, eight teams or, you know, eight teams in his top 32. I think it was um, with Purdue at 32. Um, but, you know, you see the other you see the other teams and they got Iowa at five, Wisconsin at six, Michigan State at 12 and Rutgers at 13. I mean, the, these aren't necessarily, you know, with Iowa and Rutgers and Wisconsin, these aren't teams you look at as being a, a potential top 15 team. But the conference has just gotten better, and it's consistently gotten better. Now, I don't think all those teams are going to live up to those expectations, and who knows if Indiana will. I mean, we have yet to see this Indiana team perform like a top-20 team consistently. So it's an interesting, but it's also interesting to know that what we've been saying all offseason, like Galen said, is that there's been a slow progression for this program of getting slightly better every year. Now, it hasn't taken the big leap that we've all wanted, but it feels like there's a momentum behind just improving and improving and improving and improving that finally in year four, maybe that's the year they'd make that little, I mean, going to 18 wouldn't be this huge leap, but it's a jump and it's, it's, you know, moving up to the next level. The, the issue is going to be, it's going to be interesting is how this season looks. And if they're primarily only playing big 10 teams and the big Ten's really good, the record may not be what we want it to be percentage wise, but we might still see that progress. And look, there's eye test progress here too. I mean, last year, the team's defense was obviously better and the offense at times looked like, oh, okay, we get what they're trying to do now where that hadn't been the case in the past. It felt like somebody had to go make a play for something to work. So again, the eye test told you they were getting slightly better. The results in the Kempom rankings and all of that stuff felt slightly better. I think this might be the year that we finally see them actually show that they're better all the way around. The the 18th ranking really um, caught my attention, and then the the seventh in the Big Ten also caught my attention because it's going to be a brutal season again, and, and the teams that are eighth, ninth, and tenth aren't, aren't pushovers either in the Big Ten. And some conferences you have three or four really outstanding teams, and then the bottom half is really poor, and, and the top can get a lot of wins and look better on a national stage because their record's better, but they're not playing – Week in and week out, tough opponents in, in tough road venues normally with crowds and, and maybe even tough on the road without crowds. Um, so, you know, 18th is great. It's a five seed, but it's seventh in the Big Ten behind Rutgers. Um, it is a little bit of a pause. Uh, but, again, if you're playing in well, a good about- conference, it, it, that, yeah, go that speaks volumes. You know, if you're competing and winning, if you get 12 or 13 uh, wins in the Big Ten this year. I, I think that's a, a good accomplishment. Um, but we do have to be aware of that and not, you know, not be too upset if we're not sixteen and four, fifteen and five type jump. I think. Well, think about think about last year. I mean, there were a number of Big Ten teams. You would have said they could make a run in the tournament. You know, I mean, because they'd been through the wars every night in the conference. I mean, the tournament was going to be easy for some of those teams comparatively. So you're definitely going to get that again this year where there's a couple, there might be a six seed out of the big 10 where it's like, well, 
you know, they hung with Michigan State. They hung with Iowa. They could take someone, you know, bigger. I, I, I really think the Big Ten and maybe the ACC are the two conferences that prepare you for the tournament better than anybody because there's no off nights. I mean, no completely off nights. Even, you know, a Northwestern can, can jump up one night and beat you. Uh, we saw Penn State was pretty good last year. You know, I mean, there's just there's landmines all throughout the conference. And so it's going to be interesting uh, for for the Hoosiers. Uh, hopefully they are hovering around that top 10, top 20 ranking all season long. Uh, we'll talk more about that in, in our second segment. But one thing that you do need is you need uh, some basketball players uh, and some recruiting news. Uh, Hopkins is cutting down his list. I, I'm not sure that's going to be um, – we might make the final list, but I think that's a little bit more of a long run. And then Aminu Muhammad seems to be really interested in Indiana, and it, it seems like a decision will be coming in December or early January. Uh, he's more of a slasher than a shooter, um, but if you have shooters and have a post, a, a downhill guy isn't bad, and he's ranked 14th. And so you get good players in, then all of a sudden those rankings get to be a little more steady, and you don't... Uh, you know, drop in and out of, of the rankings. But, okay, coming up on, on the assembly call, uh, we're going to look at uh, some Ken Palm offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency numbers that usually make long runs in the tournament and see if IU stacks up. All that and more next on the assembly call. Stick with us. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player fine. Sticky notes. Email alerts. A string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player fine. Hey guys, it's Gene Steratore, CBS officiating analyst and retired Big Ten basketball official. You know I have never listened to the assembly call, and to be honest, I don't intend to. But if you listen, make sure you ignore anything Ryan says about officiating. He's really good from the seat of his pants, but I wouldn't trust him on the court with a whistle around his neck. Time has proven him wrong on virtually everything. Take care. We'll talk soon. Welcome back to the Assembly Call. You can find all of our content at our website, assemblycall.com. And if you ever want to join the chat mob live during our unedited live broadcast or watch these replays and see all the in-between segment banner, then check out our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com backslash assemblycall. I'm the coach, Brian Tonsoni, here with Ryan Phillips and special guest Galen Clavio, author of Social Media in Sports. Um, and so in segment two, we're going to talk about what it's going to take offensively and defensively from a Ken Palm offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency rating to move Indiana into discussion of a deep run in the NCAA tournament. This week, Rob Doster, formerly of NBC Sports, now doing some freelance writing, uh, wrote an article on the Iowa Hawkeyes and how he didn't think uh, they – even though being ranked in the top five in some rankings, top 10, and one of the favorites in the Big Ten are really poised to make a deep run in the Big Ten because their defensive efficiency has been so poor in the past and is only predicted to be a top 70 team this season. His basic consensus was that it takes a top 30 defensive efficient team to make a trip to the Final Four, a top 30 offense, and a top 40 defense 
to be able to try to make that uh, run to the Final Four. And he listed a lot of information about teams uh, that didn't meet that criteria, and he averaged out teams. For example, uh, a Final Four average team is 20th in offense and 20th in defensive efficiency. Uh, the champions are average 10 going into the tournament offensively and 15th ranked um, defensively. So that gives you some idea of the quality of offense and defense that is needed in order to make that run. There were 15 teams that didn't meet one of those criteria that made it to the Final Four. South Carolina, for example, in 2017 was 149th in offensive efficiency but yet made the Final Four but they were third in the nation defensively. So there are 15 outliers. Indiana last season was 26th in defensive efficiency, which would meet Rob's perception of a long run in the NCAA tournament. So defensively, it seems like if IU can continue and even improve, they're there defensively. Offensively, they rank 65th in offensive efficiency, and they are well a ways away from what it takes to make a long run. And the question here in segment two, we'll start out with you, Ryan, is does this team have the capability to make a big jump and move from 65 up to uh, the top 30 offensively, which is needed to to make a, a, a Final Four or an Elite Eight type run this season? You know, I'm high on uh, the pieces on this team. I think they fit Archie's system really well, finally. Uh, I don't know if they can make a 30 spot jump. I really don't. I, I think that that's going to take some elite shooting, uh, which I don't think this team has. I think their shooting will get better, but I don't think they're going to have guys who can just stand outside and knock down three pointers and really spread the floor for a guy like Trace Jackson Davis to eat in the post. Uh, I think they can improve and I think they will improve. And I think they have, and you look at it, they have improved yearly under Archie Miller, both offensively and defensively. You've seen gradual improvement and we just talked about that. But I think that to make a 30-spot jump into the top 40 and into the top 35 might be out of reach for this team. But I think that if you look down the line and say, like, okay, well, they'll make a 10-spot jump or 15-spot jump this year and then another 10, 15-spot jump offensively, you start to see, okay, then you're starting to get into the Final Four talk. But I don't think this team has what it takes to make a huge leap offensively. Now, look, when you get in the tournament, I know he has his 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 presets of what it takes to win, and I, and I believe in that stuff. I think that it really is effective. But there are the outliers, and I think that this team could make a run if it defends as well as it's capable of defending and makes the improvement defensively that you know we've seen. And jumping from 26 to 15 changes the calculus of whether or not you can actually make a run in the tournament if you catch the right matchups and all that. We've talked about endlessly on the show. You got to get lucky to make a run in the NCAA tournament. You got the matchups have to be right. You know, all of that stuff. You have to not be traveling too far. There's all kinds of things that happen. But I, I, I think that offensively, if you're talking strictly by the numbers, I don't think this team will make that large jump. I do think it'll, it'll move up, though. You know, it's always interesting, too, because some of that's in your control. Are you improving offensively or defensively? Because someone's also the teams that finished ahead of you last year, do they regress? Uh, so, you know, when you have team rankings from year to year, each team is different, uh, which will allow either a regression backwards or or improvement. What you do look for, in my, in, in my idea, is 
is a program moving forward. I, I am happy with IU's offense going from 92 to 82 to 65 and defense from 65, 32 to 26. That's been three years of uh, statistics moving in the right direction. Galen, your, your thought on Ken, does this roster provide a chance to really jump up uh, in its offensive efficiency this year enough to where you know they, they really have a chance to maybe get to that sweet 16 and, and, and maybe get a game or two further? Well, no, I don't think it – let's put it this way. I don't think that there's enough there to make a huge 30 or 40-spot uh, leap on offense for some of the reasons that Ryan said, but also I just don't think they have a, a scorer that is athletic enough to be all over the court doing what they need to do. Like you don't necessarily have to have – I mean, the shooting's great. Shooting's really helpful. Uh, but if you're not going to have that, you at least need to have that really kind of elite athlete that's, that's able to score from, uh, anywhere 18 feet in. They don't really have that either. And that's nothing against Trace Jackson Davis. Cause I do think that one of the things I look for with offense is year to year improvement by individual players. And it's, it's not just that the team has gotten better, but a couple of things have happened. I think over the last couple of years that are worth noting, you have individual players that have gotten better at offense. Al Durham made a a, a seven-point offensive rating increase from his uh, sophomore year to his junior year. Uh, Justin Smith had about a 13-point offensive rating increase from his, uh, you know, from last year to, or two years ago to last year. Now he's obviously gone uh, and that's not great, but I think what you see is that individual players can and will get better within Archie's system. And so the the idea is, okay, Trace Jackson Davis scored at essentially a 1.2 points per possessions used clip last year. Can he up that to 1.25 or 1.3? It, it's 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 a lot, but it's, you know, it's around where some of the really good big men for IU have been in the last 10 years or so when they've really scored well. Uh, you know, can you get the same sort of improvement out of Joey Brunk, who was at about a point per possession used? You're losing Devontae Green, who, you know, I hate to say it, but Devontae just wasn't a reliably good and efficient offensive player. He never, I, I don't think in his last two or three years, exceeded one point per possession used. And, and then he would create problems on the defensive end as well. So a lot of it is in that exchange. And so when I look at this roster, I think the guys that have the best chance at a real jump forward are Jerome Hunter. Can he go from that 90, you know, that 0.9 points per possession mark and really jump that up into the ones. And then can race Thompson take that 112 offensive rating that he had and convert it into more offensive possessions used if you get those two things, you get Trace Jackson Davis maybe increasing a little bit. You get Rob Finnessy off the schneid, and then you get Christian Lander coming in and, and doing good things. Suddenly, that is an offense that has the potential to be in that twenty to thirty range, and then I think you're cooking. So yeah, and let's and and just to piggyback on what Galen was saying, you also in that case have an offense by committee instead of everything has to be Trace Jackson Davis, and then someone else has to step up and who it's going to be as a mystery every game. And that was a problem they ran into last year was where are they going to get those second offensive points? Sometimes it was Devontae Green. Sometimes it was 10 here, 10 here, 10 here. But you didn't know consistently where it was going to come from. And if you have an offense by committee, a guy like Jerome Hunter can have an off night. And But Race Thompson, Christian Lander, Rob Finnessy, Al Durham are going to pick him up. You can have a game where somebody goes for 30 off the bench or, you know, off the outside of Trace Jackson Davis to compliment him where everyone else struggles. If you have that, 
balanced consistency where you're getting points from other guys. Other guys aren't don't have so much pressure to come through all the time for you to produce wins. And I think that you're right in that there are there is a potential for a lot of guys to make improvements. And we have seen that in this this system. It's just a matter of do they do it? And 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 so I, I think you're right. I think we have seen some guys make consistent yeah. jumps. It's a question of whether or not this group could do it. And I think they can. I think you're well, certainly capable. And one thing real quick is I think a lot of this team's offensive efficiency is going to be a direct result of their defensive efficiency and their defensive play. And the fact that they made the jump they did into essentially a top 25 defense nationally last year, if they can make a a, a consistent leap beyond that, which I think is entirely possible given Archie Miller's focus on defense, given the athleticism this team has got now, now you've got a situation where you're not relying as much on shooting to try to, you know, to compensate for that lack of, of defensive possession transitioning into offensive possession. So I, I'm going to go right back to offense because I, I thought, Galen, you brought up a, a really good point about individuals getting better. How much does scheme um, play a role in that? In, in you, in, and I'll throw that to you, Galen, first, and then yeah. to Ryan. Uh, we, they, they talked about an increased pace. They've talked about uh, Christian being more in the ball screen and his efficiency coming off of the ball screen. And it sounds like a, a little more up-tempo, even in the half-court, how much does that help those individual numbers, or is it just players getting better or better players coming into the program? What makes a program, whether it's IU or anyone else, in your opinion, make that jump from 65 to 29 or 30 offensive efficiency scheme or or just individual improvement or both? Well, I think it, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of both, but it very much depends on the, the coach and the system that they're trying to play. I mean, part of the issue it's funny as much as they talked about trying to increase pace, the pace was essentially the same compared to the rest of college basketball last year as it was two years ago. Um, I think for, for IU and for Archie Miller, for whatever reason, this is not an offense that's going to necessarily thrive, you know, because of the, the players being, nobody's really rising above and beyond what the scope of the offense can do. It really is very much a system-based offense right now. And a lot of that is because of the lack of outside shooting. You don't have those exclamation points that carry you from possession to, to possession. And so IU has to rely on execution and they have to rely on efficiency the old-fashioned way through, through hitting shots, hitting two-point shots, hitting free throws. That did get marginally better. And I think in this case, what you've got this year is you have some talented players and it's a matter of within the system and within the confines of what they're doing for each other, what Ryan just said, making it so that you've got three or four contributors. I mean, if you go back and agree season on the brink, one of the big differences between the 86 team and the 87 team was that it wasn't just Steve Alford having a good night or a bad night that equated to IU having a good offensive night because now you've got Daryl Thomas that can score. Now you've got Dean Garrett that can score. Now you've got Ricky Calloway that can score. And I think it's the same thing here where it's like Trace Jackson Davis combined with hopefully a Rob Finnessy that can both shoot and pass, combined with a Jerome Hunter, combined with you know anybody else that's making regular offensive contributions. That looks like an offense that's sustainable night to night and not so reliant on one guy. Yeah, I think I think one thing with this team, and I think why they went so hard after Christian Lander, aside from the fact that he was a five-star point guard in Indiana, you got to go after that guy, of course. <laughs> besides but, that, <laughs> but yeah, you know, aside from that, you know, it's 
Um, and he's got a Chris Paul like first step. I mean, you know, why would you go after that guy? But no, I think that part of it is the pace and he plays at a higher pace. And Archie is always preaching pace and, and wanting to play faster. And you're right. Last year they didn't. And I think part of that is it's not in Rob Finnessy's nature to play fast. And you've seen Archie a lot of times exhorting him to get the ball up fast, get cheap points in transition. Laner's a guy who will do that. And especially, you know, I don't know. Again, he's 17. I don't know how much he's going to play this year. Uh, as far as like being a starter and playing 25 minutes, but he's a guy when he's on the floor is going to push the pace and is going to look for Trace Jackson Davis running the floor, Race Thompson running the floor, finding guys in the corner off the break who will have open shots. If you move fast, you get better looks. Now, bogged down in a half-court offense, you're right, Coach. The scheme, how much does it make them better? We'll find out this year, I think. I think this will be the real test because it's more of a balanced team where you're expecting scoring from multiple people instead of, it being Romeo or Jawan, you know, uh, Morgan or just Trace Jackson Davis. And if Devontae Green can do something for you, they're expecting contributions from multiple people. And so we'll see what the scheme can actually do when multiple guys are threats. And if they can hit shots, that opens things up, of course, as well. I, I do think that as much as this is a team-based offense and, and to some degree kind of a, a system-based offense, there's a couple of individual players that are going to be huge that aren't necessarily the stars. Like obviously Trace Jackson Davis is going to have to be a slightly better version, but Al Durham to me is probably the linchpin for the entire offensive show this year for IU, because that is a guy when he is on is, is able to score at an efficient pace. He's able to shoot from outside. I mean, he shot 38% from three last season, very quietly, I think. And it kind of snuck up on people at the end of the year that ended up being Indiana's best outside shooter. If he gets more volume of shots and is able to hit at that clip or better and continue to cut down on turnovers, continue to be more efficient. It really transforms what Indiana is able to do on the perimeter, and that ends up helping their interior. And so it's it's really it, it, everything has to work. And I think that's been to some degree the criticism people have had of Archie Miller's offenses at IU so far is that when one thing breaks down, everything breaks down. If they can get away from that, and if they can have a situation where they've got enough pieces, where even if one thing breaks down, the rest of it. Well, and, and on your point about Durham, what was great about him is he was hitting shots, but he's also getting to the rim and getting fouled and making his free throws. And 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 so he was able to do both. And and again, without Durham, and I know Jared has has talked uh, at length, and Andy too, about how he might be the most important offensive player next year and the one indispensable guy other than Trace Jackson Davis. He was also playing with incredible confidence at the end of last year. He wanted the, to take the big shots. Against Illinois, you saw that. And in, in different instances, he wanted to be the guy to come off a screen, catch a three, and shoot it, and rise up, and playing with that kind of confidence. If he comes out this year and he's that confidence, confident, you're right. He is that guy that's indispensable, and everybody else can play off of that. And you're right about the inside out and things not working. Inside out is a symbiotic relationship. It's both have to be working together because if you just play inside and you just play in the paint, guess what? That's easy to defend and you can run doubles. And if you don't have an, a, a, you know, uh, adequate play from the perimeter, you're in the interior just gets bogged down. And at the same token, if you don't have an inside presence, they can overplay the three point line and basically wait for you to drive and, and punish you for that. So it's it, the both things have to be working for the offense to work. I agree. So I gather from both of you that we're, we're headed in the correct direction. It's just 
it's not quite there yet to jump from 65 up to 30. It could happen. Uh, I agree with you, Galen, about what people are going to get sick and tired of hearing me say closer. You need that closer that can pull up and hit a jump shot from three, can drive, pull up at the elbow, can get to the rim and get fouled. We had one in Romeo, but we didn't have the other pieces around him. You can't just have a closer. You need a closer within the scope of everything that, that you guys have said. I also think scheme matters, and, and whether it's been personnel-driven or coach-driven, the fact that we've only had an inside game emphasis and offensive rebounding last year and we had some other things, I think it's it's got to be a multifaceted offense in order to improve those numbers. So quick – uh, on offense, uh, if we were, we've made the jump from 92, 82 to 65, uh, a quick guess at uh, where Indiana uh, ends up. I know there's a, a lot of uh, things that go into that, but where do you think Indiana ends up with their offensive efficiency uh, this season? Well, I mean, Bart Torvik, whose site I highly recommend, uh, love it, use it the same as Ken Palm, has Indiana projected right now at 32 offensively, which Sign me up for that. Now that's again, yeah. we don't we don't know what the schedule is or anything along those lines, but I I think that range is reasonable. I think a th- thirty five to forty, if if everything works, and and certainly it's a best case scenario. But uh, yeah, I think that's reasonable. Yeah, I'd say forty forty five. Um, I I again, I'm being conservative though because we have to see some of these guys who haven't really had full. I mean, Jerome Hunter hasn't played a full season with a full off season. You know what I mean? We. I, I have very high hopes for what he can be, but we just haven't seen it yet. But I have projected him to be very good. Uh, Race Thompson, if he stays healthy, I think Race Thompson is a huge piece of this team. I've been saying it for a year and a half now. I love what that guy does when he's actually on the floor. I think if those guys can be efficient offensively and can be, you know, rise to the level of their talent, we could make an even higher jump than that. But I'd say in the 40 45 range is, is what I expect and would be pleasant surprised to go higher for sure we 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 get in the 30s and 40s i think we're going to have a lot of good post game shows um i I just think we've been missing offense nice change of pace right yeah i mean it's not one of those when we sign in we're all like oh here here we go again but i i do think the pieces are there to get better it's just going to be how much uh and then the opponents matter too because like we said the schedule the brutal big 10 schedule you could be better and defensively you know, we haven't talked defensively. We've gone from 65 to 32 to 26, which is a defense that is capable of making a long run. But inside those numbers, and every stat has an inside, they were eighth or ninth in the Big Ten, and their numbers got worse in the Big Ten against better competition. So they're going to have to be a top five defensive team as well in the Big Ten. And if that does happen, then you're going to see a top 20 defensive team. You combine that with your 30s, 35, 40s, uh, and again, I think it'll be a season that that we 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 appreciate your guys' thoughts on on defense uh, improvements. Other than you know not hedging the ball screen and staying with them till you get to the you know half court type thing that we had last year. I mean, greater athleticism and greater depth in athleticism. I think big things. If you got a Jordan Geronimo that can come in and give you you know five. 10 good defensive minutes without necessarily asking for a lot on the offensive end. If you've got race Thompson healthy all year or Jerome Hunter able to move. I I think that it's easier to track offensive improvement efficiency wise than it is to track defensive efficiency period. I think I read something the other day where Brad Stevens is like, if I see, uh, you know, stats with individual defensive efficiency numbers, I just stop reading because it's just, it's almost impossible to trace even at the highest levels. But I think IU as a group 
when you watch what they do, they are getting better every year because the recognition of where they need to be and how they need to be playing with each other against the opponent continues to get better. So I expect that to continue. And I think they, they keep loading the bench with people that can play that way. And that's important. Yeah, I think that you made a great point is guys like Trey Galloway can come in and give you some minutes and Jordan Geronimo just be athletic defensively. But also you're getting guys who've been in the pack line for a certain amount of years. They're going to be better at it, you know, just from playing in it for a while. And, you know, when you first get certain guys, they have habits that might not align with the pack line and you have to sort of get them out of that and get them. I think the defense can take another jump this year. I just think, again, having more reliable, smart players who are a fit for the system will just continually make it better. So I think the defense is going to make another jump this year for sure. It's it's hard to hide a bad defensive player. You know, you can take a bad offensive player and make him screen, Sloan screen 45 or whatever that was back in my, my day and just make him screen and go offensive rebound. But you, it's hard to hide a defensive player that, that that's bad. And if you have multiple players that are offense first, defense second, um, instituting a defensive game plan can be very, very difficult. And you've seen where it's taken some years to get guys used to the pack line and get better. I do think that Indiana consistently can be a top 25 defensive team, and that that bodes well for the trajectory of this program. I, I'm a I'm an old Indiana Bobby Knight guy, defense first, uh, because defense is something you can control with your heart and your mind and play every night. Uh, offense is more skill-based. I mean, a, a, a guy like me that doesn't have much talent, can go guard somebody. I can't throw it in the, in the ocean sometimes. But, um, you know, you need you need those guys that can probably do both. And, and the comment where you, you keep stacking guys on the bench so you don't have a drop-off. Or if you need a shooter but he can't guard, uh, are, you, are you coming out on top in the long run? And I think this roster is better both defensively and offensively. The question for me is just how much versus a quality Big Ten schedule. And if you only play seven non-conference games and five or six of them are against real top conference opponents, um, you're going to have to be on on point um, right away. Any last thoughts on offense or defensive efficiencies, um, gentlemen? I just expect an improvement. I, I just expect an improvement across the board. Uh, how great that improvement will be is I, I don't know, and and we'll see. You know, it's also been a weird off season. How much of these guys have been able to train? How much have they been able to play together? All that stuff, we don't know. And so it's harder to to factor that like a natural progression in. But I would say that I just we've seen the growth every year, and I there's no reason to expect that to stop. Especially because I think the roster is better this year than it was last year and technically i think it was better than it was the year before even though you had two nba players i think the surrounding pieces weren't as good i think this is a much more solid roster top to bottom it feels like everybody can contribute and i think the improvement across the board even if it's just marginal is going to even out some of the dips that this team had at various points in the, in some of the games and that was really what lost them some of the games last year that was the difference between finishing 9 and 11 and 12 and 8 in conference and that's that's all you need is you need a three or four or five game improvement in and out of conference and, and you're good to go. And so I think that they're a lot closer to that than they were before they started the offseason. Well, let's hope for that improvement and, and for a decent run. Let's get to the NCAA tournament and then win a game or two and, and we'll reevaluate uh, what we just talked about. But coming up uh, in our third segment, we'll answer more questions. We'll ask Galen about his uh, role in the name, image, and likeness uh, committee and um, some other questions. So stick with us here on The Assembly Call.
sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. This is Jordan Halls, and I never miss a shot, or an episode of The Assembly Call. Thanks, Jordan. Welcome back to The Assembly Call. I'm the coach, Brian Tonsoni, here with Ryan Phillips and special guest Galen Clavio, esteemed member of Indiana's Name, Image, and Likeness Task Force. Uh, remember, you need to be subscribed to our email newsletter. We send out a weekly IU News Roundup, even during the offseason, and after every game, we send out a detailed post-game analysis. Just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. That's IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. It's uh, time now for our mailbag, and uh, all questions are submitted via Twitter or IU Basketball Community, which can be found at assemblycall.com backslash community. But since we have uh, Galen with us this evening, we thought that he could give us an update on Indiana's um, name, image, and likeness task force and, and what, what they have kind of come up with at this point. So, Galen, we'll just turn it over to you. Is, is How are things going on that task force? They're good. Thank you for asking. We are a couple of meetings deep now. And look, it's a it's a really interesting field because name, image, and likeness is still something that hasn't been settled by the NCAA. It hasn't been settled by state governments or the federal government. You've seen uh, some states pass laws already that allow for uh, capitalization by college athletes on name, image, and likeness. And you've got a bunch of things that potentially could go through Congress or go in front of Congress, at least. Uh, you know, what we're trying to do with this committee is really try to figure out what the route is moving forward that can help athletes in college, uh, you know, really figure out how to utilize social media to leverage their own brands, uh, you know, as they matriculate and go out into, into the professions that they're going into, whether that's athletics or outside of it. And so a lot of it is trying to make sure that the university doesn't run afoul of whatever the rules are at this point, but a lot of it is trying to think proactively. And you know, the partnership that I use got with this company, Open Doors, uh, you know, is is there to help uh, our athletes here at IU understand their social media profiles and understand what their their reach can be and and how to how to set things up. And also to investigate, you know, the the opportunities down the line if if athletes are indeed allowed to capitalize commercially on on their name, image, and likeness, uh, you know, help them understand what the what the full capacity of that could be. So we're still in the early stages of things, and, and it's going to be a long haul. But we've got some really smart people, both inside and outside the athletic department, on the committee, and I'm excited to be a part of it. Good. Um, what's the what's the biggest um misconception that, that we on the outside looking in at the, the amateur quote, amateur athletics, a, a traditional idea, what's the biggest misconception that the public has? Well, I think within the confines of this, it's not so much a misconception uh, as much as it is a, 
so much of what the NCAA has tried to put forward over the course of the last, well, you know, especially the last 50 years, but, but, it's, but within the last 20 year time frame is that athletes don't have rights to their own uh, publicity essentially. And that all has to be seated to athletic departments. And I think what's happened is that social media has finally cracked that facade. And I think we're realizing now that, it's no longer the mass media era where you've just got this small number of media messages and everybody's having to go through the same TV stations or newspapers. You've got brand value and you've got people online whose Instagram feeds have a value that's in the, the, the hundreds of thousands of, of, of dollars, maybe potentially down the road. So that's the biggest thing is that I think that the NCAA is having to change on this because of the power of the marketplace. And that to me is pretty exciting because it's it's one of the few good things I think that's come out of social media over the course of the last ten years. Yeah, it's almost you know the free market at work basically as these guys establishing themselves. I, I think that's been a heartening thing over the last you know ten months. Really, has been seeing athletes seize the power that they have. Oh, and it's, it's not for the first time, but it feels like in the most expressive way so far to demand better treatment, better you know health protections, things like that. And realizing the power they have over the marketplace. And I think that that's been really heartening to see them banding together, not individuals, but banding together as a group and saying, hey, we want to be treated better. And I think that this, you know, the the NIL stuff is is really important in that way. Have you guys thought of a do you have a projected timeline for when you think this may happen? I mean, you know, obviously loose timeline yeah. for for the future. I mean, I no, because so much is up in the air politically right now. I, you know, because you even within like within the Senate and, and the House of Representatives, you've got you know, Democrats want to go one way on it and Republicans want to go another way on it. And even within the Republicans, there's like a there's not a consistent message about what direction, whether it's a state's rights issue, where it's like, oh, yeah, well, Florida passed a very loose uh, interpretation of name, image, and likeness because they looked at it as a potential recruiting benefit that they could utilize, whereas another state might pass a far more constrictive bill. So I think that's where it's hard to project moving forward. But what what I'm hoping that we see as we move forward with this, and I think what's been talked about with the committee a bit is, all right, how do we, with what exists right now, at least empower students uh, who are athletes to learn how to utilize social media more effectively? And that's something we do with all students. It's not something that's just limited to athletes. I, I teach a class on social media utilization, and that's that's the whole point of the class, whether you're an athlete or not. Well, Galen, uh, we, we appreciate that someone like you is uh, is on the task force, and, and we wish the task force nothing best because I think it's a real plus for for Indiana to be on the forefront of this and be planning, um, planning ahead rather than waiting for it to happen. Um, and I think it's a selling point for our athletic programs, uh, for their athletes. So, um, we thank you uh, for your work and that's going to do it here, um, for us tonight, uh, at the assembly call. That's it. We're done. No more questions. So that'll, uh, end this show if you want to see us do the live show join us at assemblycall.com on thursday nights for the live broadcast of our assembly call radio recording and don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text iu to 66866 to join our free email newsletter special thanks to bob thompson for producing most of the music you hear on the show and thank you for listening we'll talk to you again next thursday night take it from me yogi Farrell. keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim and go hoosiers Thank everybody for coming out. All right. I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you.
All right. We had we had a couple questions that we didn't get to. If I could ask you guys real quick before we, we let you go for the sure. evening. Uh, the Outsider on Twitter said, um, we are at a pivotal time for IU basketball with two of four new staff members, all an all-Archie roster, a new offense, and a shift in tone for this proving year. Recognizing these factors above are all connected. Which one po- poises IU's success best for the next two to three years? Is it the additions to the coaching staff? Uh, is it the roster of all Archie players? Is it a, a new, the new scheme offensively or, or this shift in tone that uh, the outsider says? Galen, any, any thoughts on which one sets up <laughs> IU better for success in the near future? Oh, gosh. I, look, I think the, the, the combination of the roster and the coaches. Uh, there you be- go. Because ultimately, they're, they're very much intermixed. And look, I think everybody's hungry for success with IU basketball, and understandably so. And people still don't grasp how much infrastructure had to be rebuilt from the ground up when Archie Miller got here. And the idea, like, unfortunately, the initial hires that he made, while fine, I think in in multiple cases now, he's made better hires on the coaching side than than the people that they replaced. And that's not to take anything away from the people that were there before, but I think he's upgraded. Yeah. And I also think from a player perspective, it's been a pretty steady form of upgrade as well. I mean, Romeo Langford was a great player, obviously, and that was kind of a unicorn situation, but the consistency of roster and the idea that you don't have to rely on freshmen constantly to come in and fill key roles, which was such an, an integral for better or for worse, part of the Tom Crean era, that they're moving away from that now. And so that's that's where I think you know those two things will help to build on each other. And, and you'll get to a point, ideally, where you're just doing like Michigan State does. And you got a great group of players that have been there for a couple of years and a couple of guys who can play right away. And then when those guys move, you've got this other great group of players that can be there for a couple of years. And that's it's it's program based. It's 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 Villanova. It's it's those sorts of programs that just have this reservoir of talent. So that's, that's, yeah. I think the greatest part of the three freshmen, not including Lander, who I think is sort of in a different category. I know he's a freshman with those guys, but he's a little different category. The best part about the three freshmen, the uh, uh, Leo Galloway and, and Geronimo is that they get to come in and be freshmen. Mm-hmm. You know, they get to provide some energy off the bench and learn. You know, instead of being thrust into the starting lineup and having to perform, you know, uh, at a significant level, even being key bench players. I mean, those guys may not play very much, but the fact that they get to come in and, okay, you know, Jerome Hunter has four fouls with, you know, 15 minutes left. Jordan, get out there and see what you can do, you know, and and just be athletic and, and get in the way and muck things up and maybe have a backdoor cut for layup. You know, I mean they get to just take advantage of, of minutes and sit on the bench and there's no better learning tool. You watch as much film as you want. There is no better learning tool than sitting on the bench and watching your team play and realizing, Oh, he did that wrong. When I get in, let me cut this way. And you know, when I play defense, go under that screen instead of over because he's getting beat with it. There is no better tool. I, I got injured in high school and had to sit on the bench for four games. When I came back, I was way better than I was before. And it was just having to watch and understand and absorb everything that was going on and, and realize you know, you see the game from a different angle than when you're on the floor. And I think that really helps the jump from freshman to sophomore isn't just playing time. and isn't just going out and getting it done. It's also watching and learning the game on a different level than you did in high school. And I think that's going to help those guys long-term 
and in the short term for IU as well. And yeah, that's, for, that's a huge development. For me, it's the all-Archie all roster. As a coach myself, yeah. when, when you take over a program, you're, you're dealing with – I don't want to say baggage because not every time you take over a program, it's baggage, but your way of doing things is different than the previous guy. And, and if you, you know, if we take over seniors and someone's been on a varsity at the high school level for three years, and then you come in as a new coach, it's going to be hard to get that buy-in. And it takes two or three years to get the buy-in at my level. Well, you got to get that roster to be your guy. So for me, the answer to this question is, um, you know, you, you need the basketball players. You can have great coaches, but if you don't have great basketball players <laughs> and don't recruit the right kids, you're, you're not winning. I don't care how great the, the, the coach is. Um, and, and that comes from a coach. Um, we're good. We're, we're important for two or three games a year. If you're a good coach, you can squeeze two or three wins, maybe four wins a year by your coaching if you're good. If you're a bad coach, you could lose two or three or four by your decisions. Or in case of Fran McCaffrey, you can lose 50. But anyway, we'll, we'll um, not – you know, go on a bash Fran too much, uh, tonight, but, um, you know, so me, it's those guys. And, and what Ryan said about freshmen is nice is they can each impact the game in their own way while learning the other things that they need to do. Leo can come in in a game and maybe hit two or three threes and win a game that we needed some shots. Geronimo can come in, provide defense or slashing if needed in a particular game and that toughness factor of Trey Galloway. So I think uh, that, and then the, the ability to be more competitive in practice and be team oriented to push, push players. I think these freshmen are really good and they've played together uh, and can really elevate, elevate practice. So thanks out the outsider uh, for that question. And then Jared had this in the community. We'll end to end tonight with this, which current basketball slash football player do you think has the best professional potential and why and the choices were trace jackson davis christian lander both in basketball and from the football program michael Penix, taiwan mullen and wap fillier um whoever wants that i one hope first. it's wap just because of his name but go ahead ryan who do you think's got the best professional <laughs> potential i think it's christian lander uh he's very young he's a five-star guy and it, the NBA is a point guard driven league. I think that he gets there and, and, and can impact games. And of course we're all projecting development too, obviously in this, that's why it's tough, but I think it's Lander. I think that he, you know, if, if, if this were 1980, I'd say Trace Jackson Davis, cause it's a post dominated game and he's not a great shooter yet. Um, and he just is a, his ability to score in the post and defend in the post are, are, are going to be fantastic at the next level. But I think that Christian Lander in a guard-driven world is is the guy who I would pick as, as having the, the highest ceiling as a professional. Galen. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's like we're drafting off potential, and it feels like when you combine Lander's potential with the – you know, I think where he's situated already, he, you can already see the signs. I mean, I love Taiwan Mullen. It is really hard to make it as a, a starting – defensive back in the NFL, which is essentially what we're talking about here. Same thing with Michael Penix. There's such a huge mountain that you have to climb in order to get uh, to that spot. And it's not that it's necessarily easier in basketball, but it feels like Lander is a lot closer to that mark than because there's such, such a sea of football players that you have to leap over in order to get to that point. And uh, the same, yeah, Trace Jackson Davis, where he's at right now, no. And that's just because he doesn't have an outside shot. And and I that's just that's not to say that he can't develop one in the pros. I mean, we're seeing players that you would have never thought would have been able to hit outside shots, like becoming 37, 38, 39% three-point shooters in the NBA, which just seems baffling. 
but that's it's hard to project that based upon where he's at now. He's a very gifted offensive player, but I need to see we need to see what happens in like three or four years. I have to go with you too. Basketball is a game oriented or guard oriented game right now. Uh, and I think Christian's game and pace and ball screen ability, uh, if it's what everyone says it is and can play at this level and then maybe the next level, I think he has the, the biggest chance of making it professionally. But boy, Taiwan Mullen to me is just a fun watch. Uh, I do think, yes. Galen, you answered my next question. Is it, is it how? What's the difference between making it professionally in basketball and professionally in football? I think you have a much easier chance uh, in basketball if your skill level is at that uh, level uh, and a longer uh, longevity too because as well, we've seen in the NFL already, we have outstanding players that are that are unfortunately going to be out for a, a season or a few weeks in football and it's harder. The, the, the careers are a lot shorter. Yeah. Um, in football. So, but boy, Taiwan Mullen and, and Wap Fillier and Michael, those three, I, I'm really excited for IU football, uh, because we, we have some athletes that can really, uh, do yeah, some the, things. It's interesting. Cause the, the, that's essentially the Michael Penix argument against is that he hasn't been able to stay healthy long enough to really demonstrate the combination of skill, which he, I think he's got the potential skill there. No question. And, being on the field long enough. And with WAP, I love WAP. It's hard for a guy, you know, his size to be a super duper star in the NFL. Yep. Uh, not to say that he can't have a long and 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 very, very successful career, but if we're talking about the highest ceiling, I, I still think it's Lander for all the reasons that we talked about. Yeah, especially if he if he improves his shot. I mean, he can shoot it from the outside, but I think that Coach and I have talked about his form sometimes. He He's a lefty, and he has his left foot way ahead of his right foot when he jumps a lot of times for his jump shot. He evens that out, gets his balance right. Uh, I think his jump shot's going to take off because the the release is really good on it. It's a little far away from his body, but but the just the general mechanics of how it comes off his hand and the backspin he gets is fantastic. And that's, that's as, as Coach will tell you, and, and we've talked about this a lot, that's the basis of a whole of a shot. If you can do that, that's great. The other stuff is just changing mechanics and shifting a little bit, getting your weight under you, all that. He does that. Guy's gonna be able to gonna be a knockdown shooter, I think. He's just got that mentality where he likes to score and he's gonna do whatever he needs to do physically to score. As long as he can adapt to the college game and have the you know the maturity to play the game the right way. But you know, if he needs a little push shot from three, he's got a little set shot, push shot, it's low. If he drives the elbow, he can elevate over people, he can twist and th- those are special skills and we we can't coach that i mean that, that's the thing that excites me about lander is you can't coach some of that stuff uh, you just marvel at it and then find ways to use it um but you also have to tame uh some of those natural instincts to play play wildly uh he, he's got to play well um talent is one thing but you got to produce so you know i'm going to hold out until he he actually produces but uh uh to answer jared's question um that'll do it fellas i thank you for your your time this evening, really great discussion um, tonight. Thank you to everyone in the chat mob. We appreciate you guys. Um, and um, we'll, thank you, Galen, for coming on. As we well. should be we seeing schedules happen. soon, right? So, well, I mean, we we were we were thinking we weren't going to have a football season, and then we had a schedule like four days yeah. later. So, yeah. yeah, I think certainly, I feel like by the end of the month, we're going to have a basketball schedule to look at. So, so exciting. All right, everyone, stay safe, and um, we'll see you soon. Thank you guys. Thanks so much. Of course. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. 
So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Sticky notes. Email alerts. A string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.